Welcome to Medical Student Study Cast, the podcast to help third-year medical students study for clerkships, where I have the questions and you have the answers. I'm your host, Josh Bradford, a third-year medical student at Rockefeller University. The goal of this podcast is to help medical students study for high-yield topics and practice providing answers to preceptor questions. So I use several resources, and I try to pick up the most high-yield information. This podcast uses a question-and-answer format, which can help test and gauge what you know and help you identify any knowledge gaps. I encourage you to do your best to actively answer the questions. All right, today is psychiatry clerkship mood disorders. Really quick... I'm just going to talk about mood disorders for a second. They're incredibly high yield, both in real life and on the shelf. Um, when we're discussing mood disorders, it's really important to pay attention to the timeline. You know, how long have they had these symptoms? It's been two days, two weeks, two years. Each of those could be a different diagnosis. So when you're hearing uh, a uh, patient presentation, make sure that you just pay close attention to the timeline. Also, learn variations on normal. So, for example, there's depression, and there's atypical depression, or there's mania, and mania with psychotic features. Let's get started with major depressive disorder. How long do the symptoms of major depressive disorder have to last before the diagnosis can be made? All right, this is two weeks. Two weeks of what symptoms? So the acronym for uh, depression that many of us learned is SIGICAPS, and that stands for sleep, interest, guilt, energy, concentration, appetite, psychomotor retardation, and suicidal ideation. Of all of these, which ones are increased? And that would be guilt, psychomotor retardation, and possibly suicidal ideation, but all the rest are decreased. And that includes decreased sleep, decreased interest and energy and concentration, and decreased appetite. All right, what is the most important question uh, when considering adverse outcomes of depression? Now, this is about suicidal ideation. You know, what's most likely to kill a patient with depression, that's going to be uh, committing uh, suicide. So let's talk about a few things to consider if you have a patient with suicidal ideation. First off, what is a safety contract? Now, this is a piece of paper that a patient signs who has suicidal ideation, but the key here is they don't have a plan. And it's a contract that agrees that the patient will get help if they are considering suicide more seriously. Now, when can you place a hold on a patient? So placing a hold and admitting a patient to a psychiatric unit can occur if they are dangerous themselves, others, or severely, severely disabled. And this would include a patient who is suicidal with a plan. So key here, with a plan, you can put them on a hold. And what is most indicative of a successful suicide attempt? That would be prior suicide attempt. So that's one question that should always be asked. Have you attempted suicide in the past? And then you can get into more details about you know what their method might have been and if they have current plan, stuff like that. What is the first-line treatment for major depressive disorder? First-line treatment for MDD are SSRIs or SNRIs and generally along with psychotherapy. What is uh, often the final therapy for refractory MDD? So this is electroconvulsive therapy. 
there's a major stigma about ECT, you know, shown in movies, and a lot of people think that it's kind of torture and the patient's awake. In reality, the patient is placed under anesthesia and feels no pain. But what is one of the major drawbacks or side effects of ECT? So this is amnesia. It can be retrograde or anterograde, and it's generally not permanent, but it can last up to weeks to months afterwards before normal memory returns. That being said, ECT is very, very effective and is incredibly effective in non-refractory MDD, you know, that just normal depressive disorder, but because of, you know, cost and drawbacks, it's generally not used early on. Okay, let's talk a little bit about depression. Uh, what are some of the important causes of medically induced depression? So what medical conditions can cause depression, in other words? This, is, uh, this includes hypothyroidism, so stroke, especially a left middle cerebral artery stroke, uh, dementia, including Alzheimer's, and cardiovascular disease, including MI. There are also, I mean, the things that kind of connect these conditions and other conditions, in my mind, are injury to the brain and extended decreases in energy. So hypothyroidism, you know, it affects brain um, development as a child and definitely leads to a decrease in energy. Um, cardiovascular disease can lead to a decrease in energy. And then there are a few other diseases I'd like to mention on the side. So if they have a patient with uh, um, drug use and immunosuppression, uh, it might be HIV that's inducing a depression. The patient has uh, spent time outside in the East Coast, target rash, and subsequent um, arthritis. This might be Lyme disease. And then uh, the patient has problems with uh, kidney function. They might lead to a uremia which could cause a depression. Now, what are some high-yield causes of substance-induced depression? There are two big ways to think about this, and I'm thinking about uh, inappropriately used substances. So this could be um, more downers or uh, withdrawal from uppers. That includes alcohol, sedative hypnotics for the downers, and then withdrawal from stimulants such as cocaine or methamphetamines. What about medication-induced depression? Some of these drugs include beta blockers and alpha blockers and anticonvulsants and antipsychotics. I think about the beta blockers and alpha blockers as decreasing energy and anticonvulsants and antipsychotics as uh, decreasing kind of mental function. So affecting the brain or affecting overall energy, just the way I think about it. All right, general depression we talked about, ciggy caps, Two important features in there are sleep and appetite. So decreased sleep, decreased appetite. So what are the important features of a typical depression? As I kind of hinted earlier, it's all of the other same stuff except for increased sleeping and eating. Uh, both of these features could lead to additional um, problems like weight gain. And I, I kind of think about it like <laughs> it's fortunate that other causes of depression don't, it's, it's like fortunate that they don't cause weight gain because that's something else that you can be depressed about. So atypical depression has what again? So it still has the guilt, decreased concentration and energy, depressed mood, but increased sleeping and eating. Now you have a, a three-year-old pregnant mother with a five-year history of depressed mood, anhedonia, decreased motiva motivation and appetite. Her symptoms were reasonably, um, or treated reasonably well with antidepressants 
until she recently started experiencing delusions, hallucinations, started two weeks ago. What's the diagnosis? So this is one variation on normal. This is a uh, MDD with psychotic features. So the MDD occurred beforehand, it added on delusions and hallucinations, so there's psychotic features. What would be the treatment for this? So if the patient wasn't pregnant, you could use antipsychotics and antidepressants. But antipsychotics are generally indicated, contraindicated, excuse me, in pregnancy. And this would lead to the indication for electroconvulsive therapy. So we're going to end up talking a lot more about drugs on a future podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, this is just kind of a basic introduction. We're going to talk more about what specific drugs are, um, specific indications, and specific adverse reactions. Now, you have a patient who has a kind of depressed, mild, moderate depression for over two years, depressed most days, um, and most of each day. What is this? So this is dysthymia, which is a chronic, milder depression, but it can still be debilitating. And what do you use to treat it? Initially, uh, SSRIs are considered for dysthymia. Now, um, there can be short periods of an improved or euthymic mood, but it can't last for how long, just from a diagnosis standpoint. So you can't have normal improved mood that lasts more than two months, and it has to be debilitating and they have to be depressed most of the time. So dysthymia is mild depressed uh, mood for two years, how long is it, um, uh, sorry, what is the timeline required if the diagnosis can be made in adolescence? And so this is a mild to moderate depressed mood that lasts one year and also doesn't have an extended period of normal or improved mood. All right, a patient comes in who isn't sleeping, talks with pressured speech, and has a lot of physical activity and agitation and uh, has difficulty answering specific questions. What's this diagnosis? So uh, this would be a manic episode, especially if it lasts over how long? So a full manic episode needs to last at least one week. And once a full manic episode is identified, what is the requirement, or sorry, what does that make the diagnosis of? makes the diagnosis of bipolar 1, and all it really requires to make that diagnosis is a full manic episode. So that's really important. Don't get tricked into thinking it might be bipolar 2 if they spend more of their time depressed or anything like that. An acronym that's uh, valuable for thinking about manic episodes is DIG FAST. What does that stand for? Alright, that's distractibility, insomnia, grandiosity, flight of ideas, activity, speech, and thoughtlessness. I have some uh, personal experience with bipolar one, and I just I think about it as somebody who is feels good, elevated moods, and you notice immediately that they're really talkative and distractible, and their thoughts are racing, um, as well as it's very common to see sexual exploits in um, individuals with uh, regular manic episodes. So this might be a woman who has um, sexual intercourse with you know, four guys in a day, or uh, who might be. Um, sleeping with a married man even though she normally would never do something like that. So what characteristics differ between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2? 
So the major differences include um, major depressive episodes are more common in bipolar 2, but the key is they don't have a full manic episode, and if they have mania, it's hypomania. So how do you identify a hypomanic episode? So generally less than a week with fewer negative side effects on work and life. Um, you know, mania is a spectrum. You've got the normal euthymic mania, higher energy, and depressed would be lower energy and mood. And this is somewhere between euthamia and full manic episodes. So the patients can live here sometimes comfortably. It doesn't always have to be less than a week. Patients can live here a little longer, but it's less effect and influence on life and work. Traditionally speaking, bipolar 2 spends more time in a depressed mood. Um, so I kind of think of it like bipolar 1 meets major depressive disorder. And it's like the normal euthymic time that bipolar 1 might have is going to pull it into a depressed period. And the mania is pulled down from the you know intense manic episode down to a kind of hypomanic episode. All right. So either a bipolar 1 or a bipolar 2 patient can have a depressed period. If you gave this patient an SSRI, what would happen? So you definitely want to avoid SSRIs because they can induce a manic episode. What else can induce a manic episode? So generally any antidepressants, but especially TCAs. So when identifying a, uh, or thinking that you might have a bipolar one or two patient, what's really important to do before you prescribe any medications? I kind of phrased that poorly. I meant to say if you have a depressed patient you think might be bipolar, but bipolar one or two. And the key here is taking a really thorough history that looks for any possible manic episodes. So asking them for times when they might have had less sleep, racing thoughts, sexual exploits. What are uh, some substances that can induce a bipolar and manic episode? Generally speaking, these are uppers. Uh, they can include illicit drugs like cocaine or amphetamines. Um, or prescribed drugs like sympathomimetics, dopamine agonists, or corticosteroids. And uh, for corticosteroids, I just think that like the short-term corticosteroids can, you know, kind of wire somebody up. Even the long-term, it might have a lot of negative side effects. Okay, you have a patient who cycles between kind of a low high and a low low, mild hypomania and mild depressive episodes. What do they likely have? If this progresses for a long period of time, it would be cyclothymia. So how long does it need to occur for cyclothymia? That's two years and without two months symptom-free. So very similar to dysthymia, two years without two months symptom-free. Now, uh, you have a 27-year-old female patient that presents to the clinic with a chief complaint of severe irritability and a depressed mood. It occurs on a monthly basis. She knows that her menses are coming within a few days um, if the mood symptoms appear, and then mood symptoms resolve with menses. What's this disorder? This is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD. And it's generally irritability, anxiety, or depression, and it occurs within a week before menses and resolves within a few days. So it follows the menstrual cycle. What are the different types of treatments? Obviously, an antidepressant can help with the mood piece, and then hormonal medications such as oral contraceptives can help with uh, decreasing the severity of menstrual syndrome symptoms. Excuse me. All right, let's finish off with a quick rapid review. So, what's the what are the symptoms for major depressive disorder? 
This is SIGI CAPS. What does that stand for? Sleep, interest, guilt, energy, concentration, appetite, psychomotor retardation, and suicidal ideation. All right, what are the symptoms for a manic episode? To dig fast, also known as distractibility, insomnia, grandiosity, flight of ideas, activity, speech, and thoughtlessness. How long are the symptoms present in MDD? They need to be present for two weeks to make the diagnosis of a depressive episode, and therefore major depressive disorder. Now, how long must the manic features be present to make uh, the diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder? So key here is bipolar 2 disorder, generally longer than just a few days, so greater than four, less than a week, generally speaking. The key here is it doesn't mess with life. You know, they're generally able to keep a job, and, you know, they're not going to run away or lose relationships as much in the hypomanic episode. Really quick, what disorders have a two-year timeline without two-month symptom-free? That's dysthymia and cyclothymia. So they both have thymia in it. Dysthymia is what? Chronic mild depression. And cyclothymia is what? It's a cycling of moods between mild hypomania and mild depressive episodes. Okay. What's the initial treatment that should be given to a woman with depression and irritability that occurs around her menses? We just talked about this, so it would be specifically some SSRIs and oral contraceptives. What clinches the diagnosis for bipolar 1? This is a single manic episode. Alright, what are the features for a typical depression? Remember this one, it's very important. Hypersomnia instead of insomnia and hyperphagia instead of anorexia. So, sleeping a lot and eating a lot. Okay. A 31-year-old female comes in with depressed mood because she recently broke up with her boyfriend because she's inconsistent and moody. She has a successful real estate agent. She is a successful real estate agent, but said she needs regular days off each month to kind of recover from the intensity. She, her history shows multiple periods of high energy and less sleep, even back in college. She doesn't meet the criteria for MDD. So this is a possible presentation of cyclothymia. It's kind of a confusing diagnosis. You're like, wonder if there's some personality disorder going on, or you know, maybe some hypomanic, therefore uh, bipolar two. But you know, if it's kind of mild hypomania, and she doesn't spend the majority of her time in a depressed state, it's been happening for years, and it's caused kind of this moody image about her for her boyfriend who lives with her. It would be cyclothymia. All right, how long is the mood required um, to exist to make the diagnosis of dysthymia in adolescence? All right, that would be one year. And then, um, I think that's about it. So we're gonna finish up. <laughs> Made it through mood disorders. We'll spend a lot of time talking about uh, the mood disorder drugs and treatment since that ends up being a large portion of the uh, of the shelf exams. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you appreciate this podcast, please consider supporting this content by donating to my Patreon at Patreon forward slash Medical Student Studycast. If you have comments or concerns, please contact me at medicalstudentstudycast at gmail.com. 
Please share what you find helpful, changes you'd like to see, and personal experiences with podcast. Remember, I'm only a humble third-year medical student, so if I make any mistakes, feel free to let me know, and I'll do my best to correct and provide the most useful, concise, and accurate study tool I can. Thanks for listening to Medical Student StudyCast. Quote of the day, look for the light at the end of the tunnel that isn't a train. podcast is not meant to be the only resource of learning used for medical student clerkships. This podcast is not affiliated with Rockefeller University and should not be used to diagnose or treat patients. I'd like to thank freemusicarchive.org for the intro and outro music.